Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. I'm Ant Sharwood and today on the show, oh have you heard, have you noticed amid the back-to-back, wall-to-wall, 24-7 media coverage that Her Majesty the Queen died? Yes, Queen Elizabeth II is dead. Long live the King. And we're not just talking about any king, we're talking about a green king. So how green exactly is Charles? And will his environmental sensibility make a difference in the big chair? aka the throne. We'll talk about that this week and also this week because of the Queen. Parliament is suspended for 15 days but of course before that happened we snuck a little climate bill through so we'll talk about what's in that. Speaking of parliaments we're also going to talk about the landmark draft climate change policy which is being tossed around the NSW parley. Uh, We'll explain why that sets a really really important nationwide green precedent. Stick around for that interview. We're also this week talking about high-speed rail. Hooray for that. We're talking about coal mine expansions. Boo for that. And we'll chat about why Australia gets an F on a new green report card, which is not good. But I'll tell you one person who always gets an A plus on any report card is my co-host, Elfie Scott. How are you, Elfie? And were you that sort of person in school? Were you an A plus kind of person or, or do you just have an A plus personality? Oh, God, no, no. I was a straight D student. (laughs) But maybe I got better in university. Who knows? Um, Yeah, I'm having a good week, Ant. How are you going? Yeah, I'm having a lovely week. Thank you very much. I mean, you know, the difficult one in my house, my uh, wife is a producer for, uh, she basically runs the scheduling of Radio National. So Mm. uh, when things like daylight saving happens, she hates daylight saving, massive national, you know, stuff ups can occur so that occupies her brain when the queen uh dies or a massive news event happens it also sort of upends her world at 3 a.m so i've been doing a lot of cooking a lot of cleaning but let's uh get over that we're all busy people let's do a lot of podcasting Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the king, new King Charles. So we wanted to basically discuss his environmentalism this week because we know that he has this track record of talking about climate change and pollution and all things environmental. But the real question is, will that actually translate to having a green king? And what are your thoughts on this? And what is actually his track record of environmentalism? Because we know generally that he is pro it but I don't know a huge amount of the details. Look, his, his track record is, is, is both genuine and you'd have to say quirky, bordering on very eccentric. Um, <laughs> but, and you know what? I, I feel just, like you're quirky, bordering on very eccentric, actually, Ant. Well, I think that helps. I think, I think <laughs> you know, get, getting along in this world, a little bit of craziness, uh, just like, uh, you know, a little bit of sugar in a salty dish, Elfie, just kicks <laughs> it along. So, look, um, Here's here's the thing. I want to preface this whole discussion by saying, yes, I know, as I said in the intro, there's been this media blitz of of royal stuff. Mm. And, oh, we kind of hate to be yet another media outlet that's doing that. But there is a relevance here because um, the king, as as you mentioned, um, has an environmental past. Look, the eccentric side was in the 1980s. He confessed that he talks to his plants. Um, Oh. Well, I don't know. I give, I give my little wall of my pine a bit of bit of uh, that I've got in a pot that I'll hopefully plant somewhere one day. A bit of a bit of a pat on the leaves and a bit of support. Sometimes I don't think it's it's that weird to talk to plants. Do you? No, I think that's quite lovely actually. But let's talk about his like sort of concrete things that he has done other yeah. than talk to plants. So we know that 
you know, he started talking about environmental issues back in the 70s. He's called the Earth a dying patient. Um, he's also played some pretty big roles, um, if only symbolically, in climate summits and forums over the past few decades. So, for example, at the 2020 World Economic Forum in Davos, he said that global warming, climate change, and the devastating loss of biodiversity are the greatest threats humanity has ever faced. Um, and since then, he's spoken at COPs, and you and I had the opportunity to talk about this last year when he uh, said that COP26 was a last chance saloon, uh, <laughs> if you remember that. and I remember joking with you about, you know, I love my royals. You know, I never love them more than when they're employing cowboy language. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. It's the crossover we all need, basically. It really is. It really is. Um, But he also, I don't know whether he did it directly, but I do vaguely remember a sort of chewing out of Scott Morrison for saying that he might not attend Glasgow last year as well. So, yeah, he does seem to have this, like, real... I don't know if I would say heft necessarily, but he does have a very strong passion and he does use his voice quite strategically around climate. Well, he does, but here's the crucial point. Will he in the future? Um, Mm. I mean, I remember in 2005, I was working at the Canberra Times, Elfie, and he was on one of his visits and couldn't get up to a uh, sustainably managed farm up in Gunning, an hour north of Canberra, quickly enough. And potted around the farm with a couple of farmers and just was so impressed and these he he likes getting his his feet muddy he is actually into this stuff but he's come out this week and said i will have to uh put all of this a little bit on the back burner well not a little bit but more or less totally and he's following the queen's model the queen was hands off i mean queen elizabeth 70 year reign god i sound like a royal watcher now um <laughs> always wanted that job, Royal Watcher, just sit around, watch some royals. But no, look, Queen Elizabeth's reign was marked by her hands-off approach. She she let the world play out around her to a large extent. And and Charles seems to be wanting to to to, to follow that mould now. Uh, I want an activist king. I want a king who's talking about the last chance saloon to get stuff done, who's talking about climate change, and he's talking to his plants. I don't care, but I want a, a, a king who's talking about uh, the environment. And sadly, I think, you know, to wrap up this segment of our podcast this week, the bottom line, uh, why are we talking about a royal king? Because I think it's a bloody royal wasted opportunity mm. now, because I don't think we're going to hear much from him on these subjects. Yeah, God, what a disappointment if that does happen in that way. All right, now we have to talk about the next big news story, and we haven't spoken since this happened, but Albanese's climate bill has officially passed the Senate, and Labor's 43% emissions reduction target by 2030 is now enshrined in law, which is pretty wild. Um, Labor received all the support that I think they were hoping for in the Senate with the Greens and the Jackie Lambie Network and David Pocock all giving their support late last week. There were some amendments uh, that David Pocock got over the line before it went back to the lower house, and they were all about ensuring transparency and accountability from the government. Uh, Also, just as a reminder, the independents earlier on in the story were sort of pushing for that. It's not a ceiling, it's a floor uh, kind of momentum (laughs) with this bill, if you remember. Um, And basically, the bill actually now requires the government to provide annual reports, tracking progress towards the goal and ensuring future targets go further. 
So it's finally done. It's happening. There are several things that I'm sure the Labor government will have to figure out going into the future, especially in terms of legislation around industry. Uh, but yeah, it's there. We have a target, Ant. We have a 2030 target that is actually viable and interesting and better than the one that we've had for, what, like 10 years before this. Yeah, that's well said. And as you say, it is a floor, not a ceiling. And that's the point at which you stamp your climate bingo card because we've <laughs> uh, been talking all year about floors, not ceilings, um, which we do have now. And, you know, I guess in some ways, Elfie, this, this bill, you know, being being on the floor and not the ceiling yet is a little bit symbolic it's it's a statement more than a fix i mean if australia was the only country in the world contributing to greenhouse gas emissions and 43 percent was where we were at you'd be like nah not enough gotta Mm. go faster but um it is a statement i mean chris bowen says the legislation sends a strong message to the world as well as to domestic markets um I think that's important. I think Australia is no longer a climate outlier. And uh, let's see if we can say that in a few years, because if we're still sitting on 43, not sure we'll be able to. Yeah. And if we're still sitting on all of those massive fossil fuel projects too, but we'll find out. Yes. Um, but there is actually some good news this week, right, Ant? Because you have quite an interesting story from New South Wales. I do. And look, I just love this story and it almost got no media. Now, as a journalist, um, that can be a red a red flag. It can be, all oh, right, it's not a yarn. Or it can actually be a green light. It can actually make you go, you know what? People are missing this. People are missing the significance of this. This is an opportunity for us to talk about something, to have some original content. And I really think this is a big story. Here's what the story is. The New South Wales Environmental Protection Authority, hereby known as the EPA in this discussion. The EPA on Thursday launched an eight-week consultation period for its draft climate change policy and related action plan. And there's a bunch of gobbledygook. What does that actually mean? (laughs) New South Wales is going to be the first state in Australia that will treat carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases as pollutants. The EPA has actually said, if you are emitting you are polluting. And of course, polluters are now going to be required to develop more stringent plans to cut emissions. Um, This is an absolutely landmark thing. No other state in Australia has done it. And most of the states have EPAs, as New South Wales does. Um, All right, one more time. Environmental Protection Authorities. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case. Yeah, just in case. Um, Look, this this plan was actually modelled on something that happened with some US EPAs uh, where greenhouse gas emissions are regulated. In in America, they have fines. They even have criminal sentences in some cases if you're not getting it right. But the interesting part, Elfie, is how it happened. So this all started with a court case a year ago. How did we get here? How did we get to this place where the EPA is now saying, you are polluting if you are emitting and we're going to punish you if you are emitting too much? Um, it was actually the Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action, which is one of my favourite little little activist groups out there. They actually took the New South Wales EPA to the Land Environment Court and they won. They actually won um, a, a case. It was an amazing thing. They won a case to say that, 
you know, these bushfire survivors, a lot of them have had their homes burnt down. A lot of them have lost people that they knew in the fires. And they said, we have to get serious about reducing emissions. Let's make them pollution. Let's put this in law. So anyway, long story short, I had a chat uh, this week to Joe Dodds. Joe is the president of Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action, who I just mentioned. We've actually... Um, Mentioned Joe once on the pod before. She was the person who went over to Glasgow last year uh, for COP26. And she was the one that took the photo and first alerted Australians to the fact that our official uh, pavilion over there had Santos logos. Oh, that was Joe. Interesting. That was Joe Dodd. So Joe has taken the New South Wales EPA to court. And because of her, we've got this landmark uh, climate bill that's about to happen in New South Wales. Uh, we've got the draft of it come out this week. That's why we're doing the story. Let's roll our interview with Joe and hear some more from her. So Joe Dodds, thank you very much for coming on the Green Canary podcast. Uh, you must be very, very excited about what's to come. I want you to tell me how you think uh, things are going to play out. But let's start with a little bit of the history here. Why did you go to court to make sure that emissions are treated not just as emissions but as pollutants? Yeah, thanks for the question, Anthony. It's it it, it was very much a case of um, people being directly impacted by climate change, which is in, in our case bushfires, stepping back and saying, "Look, we know what the science is. The science says that." emissions are causing this global heating and that um, unless we address those emissions, we're going to see even hotter, drier climates overall. Um, and we turned to the um, New South Wales EPA and the um, policies and procedures that they had in place and realised that they don't have anything um, or they didn't have, that, have anything that directly addressed emissions as a pollutant, even though we knew those emissions were going to cause more harm in the future. At the same time, the EDO, the Environmental Defenders Office, reached out to us, to Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action, and asked if we would be interested in um, participating as litigants in an, a legal case against the EPA um, on that issue. So um, this is about three years ago. We, we, we said yes with no hesitation because we'd all... Um, many of our members have lost everything, their home, everything that was in their home, their sense of security, all the rest of it. So, so I, sh I should say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I should say for our listeners that at that time, when you say about three years ago, we're coming out of the black summer and you, of course, are down the south coast of New South Wales and um, your community was directly impacted um, in so many ways, wasn't it? Well, Anthony, I think we actually were a year before Black Summer right. we began the process because it was after the in 2018 that Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action formed and it wasn't a terribly long time after we formed that EDO got in touch so I think if I'm remembering correctly that we predate um no can't remember um but yes certainly we we, we already knew there was going to be more fires so it wasn't a surprise. It was horrendous shock, but it wasn't a surprise to us. There were more fires after the Tafra fire. And that's why we decided we would run this case, because we didn't want to see this happening to other communities and other families. Um, we were doing everything we could to stop it. And one of the strongest ways of, of preventing um, the release of greenhouse gas emissions was to get them treated as the pollutant they are. And the best way to get that to happen was to strengthen the EPO's own 
policies and guidelines about uh, greenhouse gas emissions, so which the current um, draft, thankfully, does. Yes, and that's because of you. That's because you won in the Land and Environment Court, and now we do indeed have this new draft climate change policy and related action plan. So tell us how that is going to play out. Is it just another document that'll be ignored or is it gonna be meaningful in terms of punishing the big emitters? Or not so much punishing, but getting them to stop. Yeah, look, it, it, I can't really um, be sure yet what will happen once the, the draft is finalized and once um, the EPA is then tasked with rolling that out. However, I am extremely heartened by the fact that this um, this shift in the EPA has been supported initially by the then Environment Minister, Matt Keane, um, and then by um, the current Environment Minister. They have been so supportive of the action that we took in court, and once we'd won by saying that they weren't going to challenge that, they weren't going to appeal it, and now by that the EPA should indeed go all you know, all guns blazing into this space and put an end to those emissions being just a free-for-all. So this case um, gives the EPA those teeth and I think we have a very willing um, government in New South Wales to actually follow through on that. They don't want this to just be symbolic. They want it to have real teeth because, you know, the, the people at the EPA at the EPA and, and the people in government and in opposition all have, you know, there are children, there are families, there are nieces and nephews and cousins. We're all being impacted by this. So I think it's a personal thing for them as well to want to see this change. Joe Dodds from, well, President of Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. We love your work. We love you. Thank you so much for speaking to the Green Canary today. Oh, massive pleasure. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you very much. Bye. All right. Well, that was a brilliant interview. Thank you so much for doing that this week, Ant. And we loved having Jo on. She's a fantastic voice in this. And I would also say, yeah, I'm really interested to see how this legislation actually pans out. And I really hope there's accountability and I really hope that it has teeth. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I actually um, sort of started asking Jo about, you know, what will happen in the future. But but um, she, she was... I think she's still a councillor down in Bega. So she was busy as she was sort of between meetings. So she ran out of time, but we'll be able to follow it down the track and, and check in uh, to see whether it is working. And I bet some of the states start following uh, suit. If, if a conservative, one of the things Joe did say that didn't make the interview, uh, as you'll listen to it um, out there, is um, she said, if a conservative state like New South Wales can do it, surely the more progressive states can mm. do it. Totally. WA and Victoria, we're looking at you. Yeah. All right. Now we are going to head into our mulch for the week. These are the little news clippings, the things that Ant and I have found pretty curious and interesting over the week. Ant, what's our first story? First story is uh, what I alluded to in the intro. Uh, we've got an F. What did we get an F in? What what has Australia failed? We have uh, failed uh, with, with our threatened species recovery and biodiversity. Um, this is a report card. Now, I've worked for an NGO, and the first thing you do in NGO school is learn how to make a report card on something. <laughs> like whatever your, whatever your NGO, I, I, I worked for a, for a get the Brumbies out of Kosciuszko NGO, and we did a report card on uh, all the candidates in an election and where they stood on Brumbies with an A to an F, depending on that stance. Ah, classic, got it. classic 
NGO territory. Let's do a report card. But I still like a good report card. Um, and this is a great one. So they've basically gone through every electorate in Australia and Australia as a whole. Australia as a whole gets an F for threatened species. I went through your electorate, Elfie. I went through my electorate. Uh, we live in different parts of Sydney. I would sort of briefly summarise that you live in a pretty cool, trendy part. I live in a very un <laughs> Uncool, untrendy part, but we're both getting D's, so that's not great. Wow. Um, but but for those with an interest, it's the WWF Australia, uh, the World Wildlife Fund Australia. It's all over their website. You can actually go and play around with the tool, and there's a page there where you can write to your MP and get some action done. That's kind of the the goal here, I think, from them is to mobilise people to, to towards getting something done about this. So, um. An F for Australia on the WWF Australia report card, but I reckon an A for the World Wildlife Fund Australia for doing some good work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I love that data tool that they have online, actually. It's really interesting because it lets you have some insight into the threatened species in your area, which yeah. I'm really not sure that everybody would be on top of. So it's nice to catch up and remind yourself of what's actually surrounding you. Indeed. All right. And the next story... Massive coal mine expansion has been approved in the Hunter. Fantastic. Okay, so this is a huge new coal mine expansion um, that's been approved by the New South Wales Independent Planning Commission. Uh, it is an expansion on, look, I think they're called MACH, but I'm going to call them Mac Energy's Mount Pleasant Mine in Muzzlebrook. Uh, the life of the mine will now be extended to 2048. 2048 it's so far away and basically the expansion approval will cause almost a billion tons of emissions activists are calling for tanya plibersek who now has the final call on that uh, to step in as the environment minister and reject the proposal but we just have to see how this unfolds unfortunately um Lock the Gate, which I'm sure we've all heard of. It's this alliance of farmers and landowners that stand against fossil fuels. Um, they've said that it is madness, quote, that as humanity teeters on the brink of climate catastrophe, an assessment authority such as the IPC can wave through a coal mine that will be solely responsible for 876 million tonnes of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, it's actually the largest coal mine expansion approved in the state since the Paris Agreement, according to Lock the Gate. So, yeah, this is huge and really frustrating news. It's it's probably something we knew we'd have to wear a little bit of. Uh, Labor went to the election, of course, with Dan Repicholi, a hunter coal miner, um, so as their candidate. Uh, so we sort of knew that the Hunter would be a region that would be one of the last in Australia to, to yield to, to the forces of, of you know, give, giving away uh, fossil fuels. So uh, not not good news, uh, mm. as, as as you say, but, but sadly not unexpected either. Anyway, here was something which was a little bit unexpected. Um, High-speed rail is in the news again, Elfie. And, and you love trains. You're a big train fan. I just become a train spotter in my middle age. It's quite <laughs> tragic, and but for me, it's quite beautiful. Um, no, look, I think uh, a lot of people know because we wrote about it in the newsletter last week. Um, I found myself in Albury the other day, as you do, right? You just wake up and you go, "What happened? I'm in Albury." Um, took a train to Sydney, had a really great experience. Really enjoyed the overnight train. Tweeted about it. At last count, that tweet has five uh, almost 600 retweets and 5,000 likes uh, I, I have never tweeted I got on a train and had that sort of viral reaction 
it was in the context though of the Qantas Four Corners episode, and people are looking for something that is not planes, especially for their domestic short hops. So, you know, possibly with that in mind, the government, uh, you know, brought this out, but they actually did announce uh, that that a high speed rail network uh, is on the agenda again, and they're actually going to uh, make a high speed rail authority which will be tasked with, you know, looking into this major long-term infrastructure project. Um, a bunch of experts will, will will get on the board and they'll first be looking at a Sydney to Newcastle link, which, by the way, Albanese uh, mentioned uh, when he was in pre-election mode uh, back in uh, January. But they're talking Brisbane, Sydney, Newcastle, Melbourne, possibly Canberra. Um, and, you know, uh, transport, Regional Development and Local Government Minister Catherine King told Parliament the time is now. We need to stop procrastinating and start taking action to actually deliver high-speed rail. So that's what uh, Infrastructure Minister Catherine King said. And I think we started with the King of in England and we've uh, more or less wound up the pod with Catherine King, haven't we, Elfie? <laughs> yeah, nice one, Anne. I love that. You've done very well. Um, and I just have to say, you know, uh, many listeners may know because I disappeared for three weeks, but I was in Europe uh, recently and my God, trains in Europe and it's enough to make you want to move there. They are ridiculous and it would be extremely exciting to see something like that unfold here. They're the only way to get around, aren't they? Um, I took high speed rail in France uh, and Italy and also across to uh, the UK as most people do. And it's just incredible. Um, you know, apparently the short hops and the short hops between the busiest centres make money. Uh, anything out of Beijing or Tokyo to nearby cities makes money. A lot of other routes do not make money. This may be something that doesn't make money, but there are so many other considerations here. Convenience, the environment, dot, dot, dot. So, you know, all tra public transport loses money anyway within a city. So let's hope that it wouldn't bleed the national finances enough to to actually be reality one day yeah yeah absolutely all right well that is all we have time for on the green canary today thank you so much for joining us as always we would love to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording the gadigal people of the eora nation we'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen never ceded Thank you, Elfie. And I'd just like to remind people that we're out there on Twitter at Green Canary Pod. We hit 750 uh, followers this week, which we're so thrilled about because we've done sort of just very organic uh, building of that without any sort of marketing or promoted tweets or anything. So thank you to our loyal Twitter audience. We're also there on Insta. We are at Green Canary Media there. And of course, we have a newsletter that comes out weekly. It was about trains last week. Not sure what it's going to be about this week. Probably not the king. I'll probably give you all a bit of a rest. Um, but just email hello at thegreencanary.co to get yourself on the list. And I think that's about it. We'll see you next week. Yeah, catch you next week. Bye. Bye.